0: Hey, welcome to the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. It's good to be back. I've uh, been on a bit of a break uh, since, the, since the start of this year. So, um, yep, stoked to be back and uh, ripping into these uh, interviews. So my guest today is Josh Beagley. And Josh is an iconic Australian artist, producer, DJ, and guitarist with a long storied history creating Australian funk, dance, boogie, and pop with bands like Swoop, Confection, Professor Groove and The Booty Fair and Coastal Elite, just to name a few. Um, he, he also uh, heads his own uh, record label called Personal Best Records. I met Josh uh, in his studio in Surrey Hills in Sydney. Um, it was great to be back out doing face-to-face interviews again. And I hadn't been into Sydney City for a while. So it's changed a fair bit since last time I was in there. But um, anyway enough of that. Let's uh, rip into this interview. This is episode 132. Josh Beagley. Here we go. I think we're rolling. Josh Bigley, how you going, man? Good evening, Stevie. <laughs> How's things? I'm all right. Here we are. We,
1: we Here did we it. are. <laughs> yeah, took a took a few attempts and
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, a few cancelled gigs, so to speak. And yeah, gigs and COVID and and um, yeah, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, thanks for persisting.
0: Sweet as. Yeah, yeah, I'm a
1: hard man to track down sometimes. <laughs> so.
0: <laughs> and you've just you've just got back from overseas. So what what were you what were you doing over there? Oh
1: well, I was just lucky enough to um, have a the my partner in personal best records has a um has a, some property in uh scotland so he likes to go over there every couple of years and uh gives us a bit of an excuse to have a european summer yeah summer vacation so yeah. uh yeah just went uh, and my part, uh, female partner was um was uh in italy and mm. so we yeah just had a bit of a euro vacation probably like everyone else in australia a bit a bit stuck up been Bit sick of being stuck here for a couple of years yeah so, so
0: that was the first trip out since yeah, covid yeah yeah. yeah yeah
1: so that was that was nice it wasn't yeah there's was no music it was just a yeah it was just a holiday
0: right so how was things music wise leading up before you before you went away
1: oh i mean it's just been up and down really mm. I, I would say for the for the for the last couple of years uh, uh i mean i probably haven't been doing as much live work as i as i get older um and uh, it, COVID certainly didn't help that. But mm. the, the main thing um, is a, a whole a whole ton of the people that I have worked with for decades. Mm. I've, I've, I've everyone's gone regional, so yeah, right. Very, you know, very few people actually live in in Sydney anymore. Mm. <laughs> mm. So it's been a bit harder to uh, have any sort of consistent um, uh, performance stuff.
0: Mm. And have, I, have you ever thought of? Pushing out regional or well, this
1: is – I, 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 I mean I'm lucky enough to have lots of friends living up and down the coast so I, yeah. I travel <laughs> – Free holidays. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. I travel, <laughs> travel up and down and, and yeah. do lots of stuff and I was just did gigs in Byron on the on the weekend and mm. but um, just, you know, probably the – I mean I'd love to have a a crew of people in Sydney like uh, maybe, you know, uh, 15, 20 years ago when we used to be able to play – you know, two or three times every weekend, and really have a have a yeah, a, a real consistency. Yeah, uh, but who knows? Things there's a um, Roland or well, Professor Groove mm. who I've been to, with since I was um. Uh, thirteen years old. You know, yeah. we started bands back in Adelaide, and he's yeah. been living in Melbourne for ten years. He's now back in the Blue Mountains, and mm. we've got a whole bunch of projects. Oh, cool! About to restart. So, mm. you know, anything and everything can happen.
0: That's good, and that's more more Professor Groove stuff as
1: well. Well, well yeah, well, definitely some Professor Groove, and um, and also just like lots of co-writing because he's a he's a just a great lyricist and and mm. top line writer, and um, we have haven't been able to do as much as we'd, we'd like, and it's not necessarily for, for um you know for him to sing, or, but he you know he's really he's he's a bit of a genius at it, and yeah. and I haven't had access to it as much as I'd like, so yeah. that's just one thing we want to you know really um really re- rekindle.
0: Right, that's cool. And and is that writing for your stu- for yourself, or is that to Whoever wants it, publishing. Well, well I suppose.
1: Look, with um, I've got a little label called Personal Best Records, yeah. which um a lot of the most of the acts really. Are, I have some involvement with, whether it's things that I'm actually in, like confection or or Coastal Elite, or whether it's singers that that um, I, I write and produce. Mm. Um, so, th- I suppose we just do whatever's fit for purpose, and yeah. so. A track you don't never know really what a track idea is going to be until it is and then yeah. you go well who does this suit and is it yeah yeah is it is it for one of one of these projects or is it for another singer or so yeah. so there, yeah, there's a lot of lot of things going on it's just hard to yeah trying to i suppose trying to channel them is the mm. is it is, is the tricky thing
0: yeah yeah cool all right let's let's roll right back to the beginning so you you're from adelaide right mm. um when when did music sort of first come onto the scene for you in Adelaide? Oh, sorry, you've got a musical father, is that right? Yeah. yeah.
1: My dad's got a pretty pretty rich and storied pedigree. He was mm. um he uh was in a band called Headband in the early seventies that had a um oh, I think it was a top five Australian album mm. and they were lucky enough they toured with the Rolling Stones, I think, in nineteen seventy three, oh, and Elton wow. John in nineteen seventy three and uh, and they um, so yeah, you know, he was probably in his mid twenties and pretty successful. Mm. Then they broke up after one album, and he started a th- sort of a collective in the in Adelaide and the, the Adelaide Hills, called the Mount Lofty Rangers. And one of his best friends at the time was Bon Scott from ACDC. Uh, so. They, yeah, I mean, you can imagine they were just a bunch of hip, hippies in, yeah. in the in the early '70s in uh, the Adelaide Hills making uh, making that sort of music. So uh, that was how I, I grew up with it. I had no, I yeah. had no choice. Yeah, I was in the back of the van.
0: That's it.
1: Yeah, yeah. and you know, festivals like my Ponga and on tour in the back of the combi van. It was, mm. and I sp- probably. So, yeah, I just grew up with probably quite um, familiar household Australian music names in my house all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but to be honest, when I was younger, I was more into sport and probably study. And I didn't really think about being a musician at all until maybe, well, even I got the bug, I suppose, when I was about 13 or 14 and, mm. and me and Roland. Had met and started to hang out, but, but we met through tennis. It was,
0: I was going to ask what sport. Yeah, what well, was your sport? Was it tennis? Was well, it your main I, I sport? Was a, I was,
1: played state tennis, and I played, but I played quite high level lacrosse, which is right. not, a, not a sport that's played much in New South Wales. Right. Played for Australia and lots of state teams when I was young, and I, yes. I just lived next door to seven tennis courts on the lacrosse oval, so it was just I was <laughs> just into it. Yeah, I love, I love AFL, and uh, I've, I've, for most of my life, I have just found that a really good mutual sort of thing. I mean, you know, most musicians don't like sport at all and yeah. that's they, 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 they usually find it
0: a bit. It's one or the other, isn't yeah, it?
1: Yeah, mm. and I, I found it a really good coexisting thing. I kind of like I find, um, I don't know, there's kind of a, there's a human excellence in sport which I think is, is in many ways is similar to what musicians are always aspiring for. Mm. And there's a creativity. Like the great sports people I think play with a, with a real artistic mm. thing people I, I, I don't know in AFL people like Adam Goods or Buddy Franklin yep. they they play like it's they're having fun and they're performing and it's yep. I find it I've been addicted to it for my life and mm. I suppose in in rugby league there's you know there's countless players as well that yep. they it's even though it's disciplined and and years of practice and stuff it's still entertainment and it's still you're still doing something with your mates and, and it's I, I I've just always found a big synchronicity in it. I love
0: it. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. So you met did you meet Roland at, at high school at school? Yeah, well, yeah, I think I
1: think probably last year of primary school. Like I've okay. literally known since about eleven years
0: old. So. Yeah, right. And but, was he uh into music at that stage?
1: Well, we weren't really.
0: Yeah, we didn't really know until oh, you got to. Think yeah, of until
1: yep. then, what happened was, we he, he actually his parents are academics, and he went over to um, San Francisco, I suppose, it was thirteen, fourteen, or something. And for whatever reason, we sort of kept in touch, you know, wrote mm. a few letters, mm. and basically started. I started playing guitar, and he started playing bass at the, almost identical time, and mm. he. Freakly enough, he his first bass teacher was a guy called Willie Weeks, who was oh on, no way, who was on Donny One of my favourites, yeah. <laughs> and so I didn't even, like. He's going, oh, you know, I'm just learning this stuff, and I <laughs> literally I would have sent him a cassette of Donny Hathaway live because oh, I was
0: going That's one of my all time favourite albums. That me too. Yeah, and, and that and bass solo and everything is him. Yeah, it's and and, else. <laughs>
1: and he's sort of gone. Oh, that's yeah, that's who I'm getting bass oh. lessons from. And, and at that time, we weren't really doing. That wasn't really the sort of stuff we were doing, but yeah. it was, and I didn't even realize the significance of this till yeah. quite a bit later. I was like, yeah. "Hang on, wasn't your first teacher Winnie Willet?" You know, yeah. And so we just started sending each other things across the across the Atlantic, and um, yeah. when he came back, um, basically he came back with like a treasure trove of cassettes. It was all the first hip hop stuff. And we sort of had this little collective, two man collective in Adelaide, you know, middle class white boys listening to, <laughs> getting high on on old school hip hop and and obscure disco and yeah, and that's yeah we just had like a little two man team mm. and and it started there and we I mean to this day we, you know, we're still b- best friends and absolutely addicted to it and and. It's it's I'm very lucky to have that relationship and that and that um, partnership in music.
0: Yeah, that's cool.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's we, we often talk about it like it's it's very rare for you know it's what we're we talking it's a forty year friendship. Mm. So it's it's like someone's in your corner the whole time that you can um, it gives you strength.
0: Yep. Yeah. Let's talk about some of those early bands then, and then you know then we'll get to
1: yeah. Well, I suppose, yeah, we, we started doing some gigs in Adelaide when we were 15 or whatever and we were trying to, probably like most kids, just trying to combine all the all the things we liked into the one melting pot. And yep. so it was the stuff my parents were listening to and it was, uh, so it was everything from things like doing a funk version of Get Off My Cloud by the Rolling Stones, um, to, to try to, That Girl by Stevie Wonder, like, I, I, I don't know, we, it was a very mixed band to sort of new wavy, yep. punky stuff. But it basically just gave us, it, it just give, gave us the fuel to the fire and then uh, both of us, he went to ANU, Canberra Uni for a while and I, went, I was at Adelaide and we sort of gave it a year or two off and then we sort of just said, oh. Let's both go to Sydney Uni and we'll, mm. we'll you know, see what happens. So I suppose um it was probably about eighty five, eighty-six, 86, my parents were living here and and we all just did arts degrees at Sydney Uni and started started sweep. Mm. And it was um well, we just yeah, we, we we just had an ambition to try and do White boy, funk, dance music, and yep. um, I suppose I suppose Wham had just started, and mm. it was well they can do it, and Blondie had done Rapture, and yep. it, the, it was like oh well, we we'll give it a go. Duran Duran were trying to, you know, influenced by Chic, and yep. so we just started doing that, and it,
0: you can well, certainly hear that that early hip hop. In in the style and, and the and the lyrics and the rap of that those early swoop albums, eh? Yeah, definitely.
1: He's got a yeah. he's uh, Roland's his parents are academics and he's mm-hmm. one of the smartest people you'll ever meet But he's got a mm. he's got an encyclopedic memory for right. for lyrics and words. And if he hears something once, that's there and wow! So he's always been fantastic with with wordplay and well, I, I suppose. That's a key component, isn't it? Like Bob Dylan, or you've, you've got to find an, an angle and an edge, mm. and and you don't. Those things just don't come from nowhere. You have mm. to, you have to have knowledge and be widely read and talk to people and have play, a kind of playfulness mm. with with words. Yeah, and um, and I suppose the other people, I keep going back to Mick Jagger, who I think is an incredible lyricist and always had his lyrics were fun. Yeah. Even though they might have been serious, dark, mm. but there was always a, a twist and a, and they were always really influenced by black music, or whether it was blues, soul early on, disco in the seventies. Mm. We always thought that they d- did a good job of trying to sound what like the Rolling Stones, but t- reflecting the current trends that they were into.
0: Gotcha,
1: um, and. Yeah, when Sweep started in Sydney, we, we the first thing we did was we were really into like Washington go-go music. I don't know if many people are aware of that but mm. it was a sort of an offshoot funk thing that was really just localised in Washington and they had, had a big band, 16, 17 people, mm. four or five percussionists, brass section, sort of came from the, the marching bands mm. in, in colleges. Yep. And um, this is – um. Basically, well, b- b- until Reagan came in, uh, b- music education was compulsory in America. So, wow, really? Yeah. So, you had th- this is why there was an just an incredible all those '70s funk bands. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: With with uh, the musicianship is amazing because all of them studied to a high level through high school. They had music departments that were fully equipped. And th- this is a kind of a bit of a socioeconomic, yeah, yeah, political yeah. thing that yeah, people yeah. don't really think yeah, about. Yeah. And one of Reagan's um, horrible Reaganomic things was to, one, one of the first things to to suffer this uh, funding cuts was music education. Mm. And so probably the last generation of, of people that got that free, incredible, you know, with people like Prince. All, right. all that coterie of Minneapolis people. Yeah. Wow. They all knew each other from school music classes, and uh, Washington Go Go again, was, which was around the same time. All all of these kids were in marching bands. They'd play at the football games with the mm. with the horn sections and the and the and the marching drums and stuff. Mm. And you could probably equate in many ways the emergence of well the precedence of rap with the lack of music education because mm. the the, the the black kids didn't have the um, the technical instrument mastery, and they went to machines and yep. and rather than learning how to sing, they used rappers as a form of communication. And yep. you, you can sort of chart the difference. And and mm. so musicianship, in many ways, has as kind. Of, I mean, has arguably been sort of forced out of a lot of American you know funk related music, mm. black funk soul. And um, anyway, long story short. Sorry, yes, we were really obsessed with this Washington go go music which was just incredibly localised. It was sort of these young kids doing really tribal v- versions of of P-funk and mm. t- b- bits of hip-hop. They were, And we just loved it and so we started just covering their songs and we said, oh, well, we'll have three percussionists and we'll get two drummers and we'll… Yep. So, uh, one of the drummers, you've, one of the people you said you've had on the podcast, Terrapy Richmond, who's mm. I think I agree with, you know, best drummer I've definitely played with, mm. and 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 the most natural talent. And we we auditioned him, and mm. when he was about seventeen, and we just put on one of these records and said, "Can you play that?" And he's Yeah. Like, oh, oh yeah. And then, and then we had another guy called Lucius Boric who's in a band called Cog. He showed up straight after him. and He was incredible too. And we said, "Well, what about both of you do it?" Right. It, it, we didn't really know. It was just sort of pragmatic. And
0: oh, I didn't realise Lucius was in Swoop. Oh, but.
1: very, very early incarnation, just did some gigs. And we, yeah, okay. Like, like I say, we, we used to do these wild parties with 14, 15, 16 people. Right. So anyway, that took a while to we, – well, it was really fun. It was sort of the emergence of those big dance parties. Mm. And we only put one record out, which is pretty hard to find, but it's it's called Back to Back. Which is one of a compilation, I could probably source it for you, but yeah. um uh and then we sort of stopped for a while the study and roland had a, a a cycle accident which put him out of action for a while and that's a whole other thing mm. and then after yeah probably after a year we sort of said, oh, well, are we going to do this and we and we refocused a bit and sort of started the uh the swoop that ended up being on on on, on record, mm. but no one was into it. Like it was, we no labels were interested, and it, Australian rock was just running rampant through the pubs and the clubs. And so we kind of had to forge our own path and we had to start our own label to release things, and okay. we had to book our own gigs.
0: And mm. then was that always the case with Swoop right through, or
1: pretty much we were very, very independent. We, yep. and we've. Uh, guy called Jules Normington who had a label called Phantom Records who basically did punk. Mm. and But he really loved what we were doing and mm. it, we you know, we were quite ambitious at the time and yeah. nothing was happening and he said, well, what, let's just do something. We'll start a new label together. And we did it and put a couple of things out and did some really ghetto kind of record launches which book just book a hole or whatever, and yep. pack it out and leave it a mess, and and then and then it just started to work, mm. and 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 we put out more things, and suddenly we got booked on TV shows, and mm. and and we were playing bigger, well, we are playing all around Australia in bigger venues, and I suppose we we kind of did a version of using our influence of Australian. Rock and that kind of gig, hard and performance thing, and and tried to put that into the, I suppose the, the funk, disco side of things, which probably doesn't didn't translate so well to Australian audience, which were probably pretty Anglo Mm. back then, and and that's really kind of how the swoop sound was. It was a kind of the fusion of the music we loved. Uh, from the from the black music side, and pulling in that sort of Australian rock, hard work, put on a show, climb the PA,
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> crowd surf, yeah, bring bring that energy of of which I think is an incredible legacy of Australian music,
0: mm.
1: and and try and give, yeah. Some some showmanship and some, well, yeah, just make it a bit of a melting pot. I suppose that was really the the thing.
0: Yeah. So I guess the 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 I would we'll call it the the big hit. I suppose was Apple Eyes. Yeah. Right. So I was curious because I mean, I've been listening to some Swoop the last few days. Yeah. I'm prepared to come and talk to you. And when? Oh, sorry. I was first made aware of Swoop. I, I came out to. Australia at the end of '94. Oh yeah. So '95, '96, I started getting into the the Sydney music scene. Yeah. And um where from? Oh, from New Zealand. Yeah, but what- yeah, oh, from Masterton, which is it's it's in the Rapper, so it's Wellingtonish yeah. okay, re- yep, region. Yep, yep. Um, and you know there was the shows like Hey Hey Saturday, and and yeah, you know there was bands on TV shows which. Didn't really happen in, in yeah. my day in New it Zealand, doesn't happen you know. Anymore. Yeah, yeah, so I think the first time I saw you guys was the performance of, of Apple Eyes. Yep. Fuck, who's this? This is awesome. You know, the, the funk guitar and the it, just the funky drums, and I hadn't heard anything like it before. Um, so I'm curious, like that that song Apple Eyes. When you when you wrote that, because you know, as soon as it starts playing, you know, you have got your guitar riff, and then it comes in with the It's just it's. That songs go right from the start, right? Yeah. And it's hooky and it's catchy and all the little, little vocal catches in it. When you wrote that song, did did that fit? Fe- did it feel like that was going to be the hit? It, it
1: had a c- kind of a complicated start. The, mm-hmm. the uh, bass player at the time, Alex Hewitson, mm-hmm. had um. We were sort of all throwing song ideas in for what's what was the second album, and he had a little demo the mm-hmm. kind of the do 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 do, kind just kind of the the basic chord things. Yep. and Roland going, oh, I've sort of got something over that, and it sounded a bit like um, sounded a bit like uh, OJ's, like get on board, get on the love train and ride it, and. So that was just the kernel, and then we, that sort of stuck around for a while. And then we were sort of a bit stuck in the studio. And said, "Oh, we've got that idea," and then yep. we started playing around with it. And me and the producer, a guy called Ashley Cadell, who was we would we, we were doing a lot of stuff in the studio without the band. Yep, just just sort of the way it worked. Like we wanted to do it all, but people weren't available. So gotcha. me and him sort of really dug in, and and then I sort of mucked around and turned the distortion pedal on and went down. Yeah it's like, oh, well, that's kind of cool, you yeah. know. And then, then we so we sort of kind of did a rock version of this sort of dinky idea. Yeah. And then I remember saying to Roland, Oh man, that's the a bit daggy the lyric. Can you come up with something better? Mm. And he went away and he came back with the sort of psychedelic Lyric idea,
0: yeah,
1: and we when we tried that, it's like, oh, that's pretty good, and and then there was all the other stuff was just reflections of what we listened to, which was Flystone and Parliament. So that, like you say, that moog line was because we were just listening to P Funk and that kind of um, and G Funk, and so let's put a moog on there, and um, uh, the the guitar solo was basically a nod to the Isley Brothers, yeah, right. And uh, the outro goes all flangy at the end, and, yep. f- and we literally did that in mastering because that sounded like Sly Stone putting two tapes. Yeah, so it was oh, cool, it, it was yeah. a combination of all sorts of of interesting things, and yeah, um, probably. And you got the Roland with his his sort of more funk approach, and then that, and Fiona with a with a the more delicate, melodic, 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 so, so, yep. so it yep. really was again. It was a melting pot. It was a, it was a whole bunch of everything, and and we we arranged it really well. And, it, and it's you know three and a half minutes of
0: it's a great, so it's a great it's, song. Just yeah. hooks everywhere, it hooks everywhere. Yeah. that's Right? And you you know how um, there's you know you go you go through your life and you you listen to songs and you always think that the lyrics are certain lyrics, yeah, yeah, and then you find out that it's that it's actually not, yeah. I, it took me a long time to to read. Like I knew the song was called Apple Eyes, but I used to think, why is it called Apple Eyes? Apple Eyes is not even in the lyrics. Because yeah. I used to think that that first line to the chorus was was up all night. Oh yeah, right. Up all night drinking strawberry, strawberry wine. wine. You know? that's probably better. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, and then of course you find out it's Apple Eyes. Oh okay, there you go. Yeah, so that was on uh, that was on uh, the Waxo. Yeah. 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 So where where did that 'cause that that's that's a really trippy sort of idea well, that well, isn't again, it? Again,
1: like, we were just obsessed with,
0: with psychedelic George
1: Clinton yeah, yeah, and, the, the, yeah. and the and the way he, he had those things like the placebo Funkadelic versus the placebo syndrome and yep. he used to create these kind of mythologies around yep. Parliament Funkadelic and yep. the the spaceships The spaceships came and all that, yeah. And we we just <laughs> We were just listening to it like all the time, and it, it, it wasn't like a conscious decision. It was just—it just happened. It was yeah. just the stuff we were into. Like yeah, let's do yep. stuff like that. And we we did a comic book, and we made ourselves out to be space freaks. And yep. it, it was—it it just seems a bit weirder because no one else doing Australian rock was doing that. So yep. it was a little bit. um But that—that that was we were just we were touring a lot and you're in you've in the trago and it's music sounds good before and after gigs and yeah. you're sort of stuck there with your people and we were just playing those Slystone stone there's a Riot going on album and uh yeah funkin telly funkin versus placebo syndrome or mm. just all that stuff over and over and over and
0: it just it's seeped ingrained in yeah seeped in yeah 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 Awesome. So, uh, yeah. so, um, so, swoop sort of swoop ended ninety nine. Is that right? Did I read that right? Yeah. And then we. So, what was the what was the catalyst for that?
1: Oh, we Just were a right. bit of a soap opera. So oh, okay. okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, for starters, because we were trying to. We were a seven piece band, so it, okay. was, it was quite unwieldy. So right. We had percussionist, um, female singer, keyboard player guitar, like, so uh, financially it was m- not very viable. Yep. Because it's just every, every gig you've yep. got seven people plus road crew plus. Yep. So we were sort of touring as though we were a much bigger band than we were. Right. But uh, also having seven people, you're a little community. Hmm. So there was lots of interrelationship stuff. Okay. So it got, Roland was in a relationship with Fiona for for several years, and then yep. he wasn't, and then she was in a relationship with other people in the band. Okay. It just, it just got difficult, yep. and um, and it just hit a point where we just sort of, we never actually called it. Like, I mean, we've yeah. actually got a new, some new swoop stuff that might come out. Yeah. But, but, awesome, <laughs> but um, but we just, it just got too hard, and we yep. lost the support of the record company. Who, okay. M- M- Mushroom, disintegrated because. A lot of reasons, but they essentially um, were in the process of um, selling the whole business to festivals. So they weren't investing in any of their bands. Okay. No one knew this. So a lot you, of bands getting shelved. Yeah, and all sort of so we just—it was just really frustrating, yep. and and we just sort of just sort of called it for the time being, and, and mm. then it never really resumed. Mm. Um, it was a shame because we we'd stuck at it probably. We were definitely, definitely on the verge of g- going better. Mm. You know, we had a we toured Japan. We had a top five single there. Mm. And, uh, I think it was on the verge of being released in the UK. It had mm. been in TV shows, and it, it was. But it's just, it's really hard to keep seven people on the ba- seven people on the road, and and um, I, unless things are really well, bands are kind of for people in their twenties. Right, it it just gets harder when you get a bit older and right. You got to pay rent. You have got relationships and there's demands and yep. And, and being in a band is an inherently illogical thing to do. Yeah, it, it it challenges all. I mean, that's why it's that's why it's eternally fascinating to kids because it's like a fantasy life. Exactly, yeah. uh, and uh, so. <laughs> Everyone sort of wants to do it like, whoa, what do you mean? They just, I just like, <laughs> like, it's like it's, it's <laughs> when you're young, it just seems like the most incredible thing, yep. and in some ways, it, it is. It's, a, it's an unreal existence,
0: yeah.
1: But there's a point, but I mean, f- we all just saw it, and with that Beatles get back thing, yeah. Not that I'm comparing us to the Beatles, but of course, but you, can, say. you can just see they're all 29 years old, and suddenly they've got one year old kids, and they've got th- they're, They've been together for 10 years and they don't like each other very much anymore <laughs> and
0: they're arguing and yep. it's it just turning it's, up in their different posses and different cars and yeah, yeah, and yeah. And that's
1: what we were like, we had two we had separate tarragos because right, we were right. getting like it just got it just got a bit silly. We're, yep. we're like we're not we're not successful enough to be doing this and <laughs> we don't really, So yep. yeah, we sort of stopped and and then Roland and I were like, Well, we're a bit bored, let's just do some let's just do some gigs around the around the hood and we yep. just jokingly made up a band name called Professor Grew and the Booty Affair. Like yeah. it was literally just a joke. Really? Yeah. It was sort of and and we just really the idea was let's just play some covers without any of the pressures of swoop and without having to do originals and light shows mm. and road crew and and let's just play the songs that we like. And we started doing a yeah, we just started doing Sunday nights at a place called Kinsellas just down the road here. And yep. um I mean yeah, we all sat down. Yep. And and we didn't care. And we just said this is what we're gonna do. And we yep. would we'd learn songs and do songs that people were like, we don't care what if what the demand is, we're just gonna do what we like. Yep. And it ended up being a really successful yeah.
0: thing. And it became an institution, really. Yeah,
1: didn't it? and but like a sort of what, I, like what I was saying back at the start of the thing was, I'm still doing music with my best friend. So yeah. we just whatever we just did whatever we like. Let's let's do any money song. Baby, hold on to me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hey guys, we're doing this on Sunday. Learn it. Yep. Yeah. No rehearsal, let's go. And then yep. we we'd do that for three months. We're going to do this song. I want to know if it's good for you by Funkadelic. Like the th- th- deep things that people wouldn't necessarily dance to, but yep. we just we just set ourselves little challenges. Yeah. We did a lot of James Brown stuff, which we didn't like when we were younger, but mm. we just got deep into it and got yep. into the discipline of the way those tracks were made. Yep, and. Like when I say, got into the, we got obsessive about the. Forget one guitar does this okay f- for eleven minutes. Yeah, the other guitar does that. Yep, for eleven minutes. Yep, and don't fuck around. And that's it. And yep. the keyboard player doesn't do anything until James says, "Go," and <laughs> yeah. then you play until he says, "Stop." Yeah, and then don't noodle. Yeah,
0: because
1: if you do, we'll s- shut the whole thing down and embarrass you. So we we just sort of tried to f- we've just found fun in that and yeah, and, and yeah, also yeah. and then you've work out this this it's powerful. If everyone does their job and you're on the same yeah, page
0: It's yeah. a trip man. and
1: then suddenly you go, Oh actually we actually sound really good. Yeah. And and that gives you confidence and then and then yeah, as you say, Professor Groove, we we probably did yeah a few thousand gigs yep. around Sydney. And the the only shame of it is that we didn't record enough. Like mm. We Mm. We we're just sort of enjoying doing those things, and we weren't. I mean, there's a live album. We eventually did a a, a a recorded album, but there's a lot of stuff we should have we should have done more. But that's just the way it goes. It's,
0: yep. Yeah. I said to you before we started recording, it was my wife that that put me onto Professor Groove and the, the Booty Affair because you know through her her school friends and stuff, they used to come out and watch you guys play, and um. You know, I I think the first time I saw you play would have been the basement. You play the yeah, basement, yeah, yeah. A lot of basement gigs, yep. yeah. So that would have been the first time, and then the second time was at Pier One. There's at um, Harborside Brasserie. Harborside Brasserie, yeah. that's right. And I'm not sure. I, I'm not. I don't think you played that night. Phil Sobrano was playing guitar. That's yeah. the first time I'd seen I missed Phil. A,
1: I missed a couple, but he was. We, yeah, he was. Yeah, he was a big part of the early. Yeah. Years and because yeah. he was um he was and I'm talking with uh his sister Kat Sabrano and they were doing disco funk as well and he was living in Melbourne so he moved to Sydney and sort of coagulated and said, oh, yeah why don't you do it and Phil's a fantastic guitar player yeah, yeah
0: I've had Phil on the podcast we talked about all this yeah great yeah, yeah. yeah he's awesome Talk yeah too.
1: and he's you know super funny and he's yeah. he's like an alpha personality like Roland and yeah so that almost compete for attention at gigs and, <laughs> and but but we had the same thing we just had this. Like me and him just sat next to each other, and we would just lock in. You do that, I'll do that, yeah, and let's and let's go, yeah, and uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was super fun. He eventually moved back to Melbourne, and we and we mutated and kept kept on going. But yeah, um, yeah, he was a big part of the early Professor Groove stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, and the first time I'd ever seen Kelvin was at that Harpside Brasserie. Yeah, gig. and uh, yeah, yeah. Kel- um, kelvin has been on the podcast as well. Yeah, he's Yo, uh, brother.
1: He's a he's he's a he's a well obviously apart from just being an incredible human and, yeah. a, and a fantastic drummer and and such a joyous person to be around all yeah. that sort of stuff. He, when we were doing that stuff and we were just deep deep into this, like I say, the kind of discipline, mm. long, like mm. just don't don't miss a beat. Yeah. He he got it like no other drummer That's ever. He 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 would just sit there, yep. And we just we used to have this thing. I I'd, I'd just sort of sit at the back. We had the bass at the back and Carvin, and we'd just sit there looking at each other, going, "Let's just we just we just we just, just power through." Yep. You know, because those gigs we used to call them marathons of funk. with they would be three hours, three yeah. and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. And we took great delight in just having that hypnotic, consistent funk, and uh, no one. No one's ever been able to do it like Calvin. Yeah. Ter, Ter- is an incredible drummer, but yep. he, his his patience is d- yeah, I d- different. I Calvin could just sit on that thing. Yep. And again, it's just we were just so confident with that with that groove.
0: Yep. And that's I picked up on that too at that gig, and I told Calvin this in the, in the podcast. Said, it was one of the things that that really, you know, got me. Was said, you just sit you didn't play a fill, you just yeah. played the groove. Yeah. And that was it.
1: <laughs> we, I mean, we, we, we'd have, I mean, every now and then, you know, we, when someone else came in, we're like, man, if you do a drum fill, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll fine you, we won't pay you, <laughs> we'll, we'll stop the gig.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll uh, embarrass you. And
1: people were like, <laughs> like, what are you, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know. And it's like, b- b- <laughs> you, if you disrupt the groove, That's it. it's a thing. Uh, and yeah, uh, and we—you only realize how good Calvin is when you don't have him.
0: Yeah, I understand.
1: Uh, and people didn't hit the kick drum any like with the same authority, and yep. the and like just this consistency. Like he yep. was like like going to a dance club. He just had this uh, pulsing funk that if it wasn't there, we we felt like at half speed. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, it really was. It's, it is. He's it an incredible thing, and yeah. And, it, it, yeah, he, he's, it, it, also, I mean, it, it gets complicated because Roland and I, we, we wanted, we were loose as all, all get go back there and lots of, you know, mm. lots of drinking, substance, partying. Yeah. But we knew that we were providing the entertainment and the. The colour, but, so to speak. But but had to be built on. Get yeah, that foundation, dunsh, yeah. Dunsh, dunsh. And, and so the bass, the drums, the keys, everything else had to be like locked yep. in order for Roland in particular to, yep. to be able to do this thing. Because mm. if, you, if you follow in the wrong way, it's just it mucks it up. And now in, in all honesty, we, we haven't had that lock for a long time and mm. we'd love to get back to it, mm. but it's you've got to play together a lot.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah, what what's the sort of modern day Professor Groove like? Because you you know you, was one of the last gigs you did was that the final gig at El Sol before mm. they closed it. Yeah, which I was going to try and get down to. But
1: yeah, well, weirdly enough, we've been playing on and off down at the Granada for I suppose well over twenty years, and mm. Brass Monkey and El Sol and. Mm. Uh, something about surf culture and mm. the, the kids, there's a certain wildness, and they they just love us for some reason. And um, so we've just, we've done a series of incredible gigs over the over the years down there. But it, it uh, well, like I say, towards the start of things, it's it's been made more difficult when you have to get different people for different. Different gigs, and you don't have that yep. huge repertoire and this mm. kind of um, consistent um, di- discipline to sort of draw upon. Mm. Um, but that, that's just been a function of of the world. People we haven't been hadn't been able to rehearse. People have moved away. Mm. So you'll get together for a gig, and it's great fun. It's amazing, but it probably doesn't have the power of those harborside or basement gigs where we were literally all aligned Mm. um but we've yeah so we did did a lot of stuff there we've released a a few tracks we've we've got a whole bunch of things that sound really great Mm. which i'm I'm trying to finalize and and put together but i just hadn't wanted to put them out unless um professor was in town and you know could do a video or do some interviews And so that's just happening now Mm. um and the other thing uh, that we're looking at doing is for a while now we've uh, – uh, we, me and him have been really into like uh, – uh, we call it country funk. I don't know if that's – it's things – everything from Glen Campbell doing Wichita Lineman to mm. the band to Little Feet, uh, mm. Atlanta Rhythm Section. So uh, um, Body Raid, mm. all sorts of things but – you know we'd we sit around listen to things and oh what a and quite often we end up in this little southern groove type thing yeah so i've lit- literally uh, we've just pitched a thing um called professor groove's southern nights so cool. we're going to um do some gigs playing that stuff so basically just the music that we're into and and we haven't done it yet but right. we'll probably get a uh, pedal steel guitar player right. and and some backing vocals and right. just try and get that 70s southern southern groove thing. Right.
0: So what will you do rhythm
1: section-wise then? Uh, well, is our main guy yep. at the moment but he lives in Byron. So yep. if, if – um, and Calvin would be the other one but he's been doing this gig at Hubert's night and day. So yep. it's been – so I, we will try and start with Terapi mm-hmm. and um, the other bass player that um, we've been working with mainly for years is Michael D. Francesco. Mm-hmm. who's touch sensitive. Is his is his sort of commercial name? Mm-hmm. He's just the best. So that that would be our dream team. And mm-hmm. then on keys probably, I don't know, probably Harry Sutherland, mm. who's been we've been doing lots of writing and playing with for the last several years. So. Yeah. So I mean, it's this is the problem. It's it, it depends on everyone being available. Yeah, gotcha. But, but that's that's the ideal, and um, that's what we're working towards. Yeah,
0: cool. And and
1: and probably write and record and release some stuff in in that vein as well.
0: Hopefully, yeah, that's cool.
1: Yeah, that's the, that's that's what we're working on. Can't wait.
0: Yeah, awesome. All right. So while Professor Groove that stuff was going on, obviously that wouldn't have sustained. Well, were you playing enough for that to be the to be the only thing you were doing or or when did when did you start getting into the 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 djing and the producing and
1: oh well yeah that's basically after swoop really it was there just wasn't much income so um uh some some people I've been involved with our old manager and um and a friend of his that was working at uh, MGM who were the label that was putting stuff out, mm. were like, well, let's do a label and rather than focus on, a, on the band that you might be in, mm. why don't you do um, lot, lots of bands or work with lots of people?
0: Yeah.
1: And it's a pretty simple idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> harder to execute but it's that's really that's what happens and we started a little label called One Stop Funk Shop and uh, and that's probably when Confection started. with the same thing, which is, well, just why don't, why don't you just make some music like the stuff you listen to, which was mm. kind of 80s funk, like Evelyn King and Janet Jackson and stuff. Yeah. And ended up hooking up with Juanita and we made that record, and that uh, that went all right. But yeah, once that sort of funk shop released stuff by Don Dolo, who's now Sergio, mm. who's become really successful, mm. and um. Yeah, we, we did a few things. It's just I've, I'm not a great businessman but it was nice to do that and then that evolved after a while into personal best records which mm-hmm. um, was really just the same thing which is just a let's do a label that enables um, me to put out music with the people I'm working with. Mm. Um, uh, and it's yeah, to, to – to um, greater or lesser su- success, but it's 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 a it's what I'm passionate about. I still love doing it, mm. and it gives me an opportunity to to um, get people together and record and write. And mm. rather than just nothing happening with it, at least things
0: can be available and to come out. And um, did that did that step up a bit during COVID? Then well the lockdown stuff. And
1: well, the problem was probably it was probably. It was getting really good before COVID. Okay. And then uh, that just pulled everything away. Okay. But uh, the one good thing about COVID was um, the room you're sitting in now. uh, Yeah. And my girlfriend wasn't living here. And I was like, oh, well, if I'm I'm locked in here, I might as well just, I might as well lock in and just. Got all the synths out and just built a yeah. just built a <laughs> yeah. built a synth wall and, yeah. <laughs> and and it turned on. It just said, "I'm going to learn how to use a different drum machine and and I basically wrote an entire confection album in a in a month or two. And then when we were allowed to see anyone, I called up Oneida and i have yeah. 'I've I've got ten tracks.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Come and sing them.' You so know? You,
0: ju- you just mentioned your synth wall. So in in here at the moment. We have, there's a Prophet 5 and there's a Rhodes.
1: Yeah, there's a Memory Moog under cover there. Oh, oh, yep, yep, yep. That's probably the king of synths. What have we got? There's an M1, there's a Whirly, there's a Roland T-50. Oh, sorry, sorry. There's a Roland T-50 underneath your, underneath the table here. Um, there's an
0: SSL module SSL modules, Yeah, SSL yep.
1: modules, a Yamaha RX-5 drum machine, there's a Simmons Claptrap trap. There's a 808. Um, yeah,
0: it's cool, man.
1: I've, it's I like all
0: the like all the toys. Yeah, yeah. Is there? I, this is a question I was going to ask a bit later. But is there one? Is there one favorite there? Is there one favorite bit of equipment?
1: Uh, well, uh, uh, probably. I mean, probably. I've only just probably the memory moog, I think, is the funkiest synth that's ever been yeah, made. Yep. Uh, it, it's noisy, it's a bit unwieldy. But so the pro the Profit Five is probably the probably the one. But it's a bit of a duck's
0: nut, hey, Yeah, I've well, just
1: it's just on so many of the records so many that things. I love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've I've I'd never had one. That so all through sweep, i I always had other synths. Yeah, right. That's so I only bought that last year and right. um, it's well, it's it's historical but it's you know, you can hear Prince. You can hear, you can you can hear so many reminders of great moments past. You just lose
0: yourself in that, eh? Yeah.
1: Um, but it is a bit like you know choosing between your children. Yeah, because they that I mean, that's the reason why people sounds people like, why do you ever seen me – you know toy pianos in your house or why not well because they all provide a different flavor and uh, I mean I've got a few guitars but i i'm i've I'm not really an obsessive guitar player okay but i I do like the sound of drum machines and synths. I do I can get a bit more into that I think
0: mm. so just on your guitar playing then you're you know it um listening to the the swoop albums the last few days you know those who were the funk guitarists at the time that, that you were listening to? Or, or sorry, or, or did you actually zone in on the fact that, you know, that particular guitarist had a name or did you just hear the sound and just try and replicate the sound? Or did you work out who that guitar player is and study?
1: No, nah, I'm, I'm a bit random with it. Like yep. me and Roland would listen to st- – there's a band called Haircut 100 mm. who you probably have never heard of. No. Most people – they were like an 80s English – they were sort of doing a similar idea that we were kind of white boys trying to play funk, jazz funk, and they had a guitar player called Nick Haywood and he, he did that kind of that scratchy rhythm thing and I probably heard them when I was 14 or something and that was like, "What? what's that? Because that, mm. that sounds amazing. Mm. And so my first influence was trying to sound like him because he had this just... Magnificent right hand funk feel, and there's a whole album called Pelican West where every track has got this, and that was how I developed my right hand thing. Yeah, now clearly, there's you know, you know, Rogers and, and the obvious and the James James Brown. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I can't remember what the James Brown guitar, I'm his catfish Collins, but I but. I was more track by track, and then we would yep. just learn a song to play, and gotcha. then you learn it. I, I never really went down the rabbit hole with guitar players. Yeah, I, okay. I was a bit more
0: pragmatic. Yeah, gotcha.
1: I love the guy from Calling the Gang who does those, um, kind of those catchy, you know, dunk 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 dunk, dunk, dunk sort of catchy lines. Yeah. Uh, uh, so. Yeah, I, I'm I'm a bit, I'm a bit random with guitar.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, that answers the question. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, coastal elite. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, well that was really just uh, like like the previous stories. I just went through a big phase of listening to lots of sort of yacht rock, uh, Doobie Brothers, mm. Michael McDonald, mm. Jackson Brown. Um, Carly Simon, and stuff that when I was younger was just not cool. Mm. Uh, It was particularly when I was a teenager, which is when you really sort of form your musical influences. Like that stuff was just oh, that soft rock, West Coast stuff was just that was what music was rebelling against. Yeah, right. Punk, you know, punk new wave. That was that was yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those long hair, beard, (laughs) denim shirt smooth, noodling, Fender Rhodes, that that was the enemy. Yeah, right. So even though you you kind of grow up with that stuff in the the background, it was never something that I was particularly into. And then it's never – it's not like a light bulb or anything because Mm. music's a complicated thing. But there was a point where I suddenly realised I was just listening to lots of that stuff and I thought it would just be really cool to do something – somewhat again not not exactly but it's inf- strongly influenced by it yep and uh, at the time i didn't really have any but most of the people people i was regularly working with went around so i had a bunch of tracks with michael di who we discussed but he was Away a lot doing doing the touch sensitive, mm. so and Roland Professor was in Melbourne, and Juanita was doing other stuff, and so you just started reaching out to some other people and mm. and. Uh, that Shawbreak song that we were discussing earlier—that's mm. a guy called Andrew Bruce who who does some vocals on that. And
0: so who's playing who's playing bass then? That's Michael Francesco. Oh, it is Michael. Yeah, okay, yeah. right. He, yep.
1: Yeah, he, he's we've we've made a ton of music. We haven't put enough of it out. Yep. And we've, that's another project called Crime Wave, which hopefully is kind of see the light of day pretty soon. Cool. But he, yeah. So we we've great musical compadres. We've done a, a, a lot of stuff. Mm lots of stuff and he, he's been a huge influence on the way I play and listen to music and he's a synth master and he's the best, just the best bass player. So we I think basically, yeah, him and I were just going let's do some, I mean Yacht Rock's a very generic term but yep. it's essentially it was that kind of, yeah, less, less aggressive, mm. um, a little bit white but not, exclusively uh it's like white yeah white soul music. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. And and I'd um Coastal Elite was just a I was watching lots of American politics at the time and uh, sort of the early Trump era and it was you know, everyone was just arguing about everything and mm. oh those goddamn coastal elites, you know. And I <laughs> and I just thought that's a just a great name for a band to do that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. So like most things, they starts out as a bit of a joke and a bit of a just a kind of a, a weird concept and then yeah. it seemed I just thought it sounded like, like that's what Australia is. We, we are coastal elites. That, that's, that's exactly what Australia is. We've got six cities dotted on yeah. the coastline yeah. with <laughs> a, with a you know, 20 million miles of interior that people don't really want to live in.
0: Yeah.
1: And so the more I mucked around with the idea of Coastal Elite, the more it just seemed to be something really good. And then this graphic designer we worked with um, called Camera Bed came up with the, this fantastic graphics with, yep. the, with the flags and the nautical thing and it just yep. felt, felt like it fit. And, and
0: then the, the, pro, the promo – the band shots, yeah, you all get your own little, yeah, exactly. <laughs> little Everyone shot the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, and that's a bit like some of those 70s black funk albums where they'd yeah. all have a little square, you know, like you know, Josh Aquarius plays guitar, <laughs> and, and 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 everyone's sort of trying to pose for the photo. And so, <laughs> yeah, but uh, Coastal Elite now really it's a bit of a um, uh, look, I mean, a, a, it's it's really just a no one really, really knows about it and it's mm. – I'd love it to be more popular because I'm really proud of it. I, yeah. I think it's really – I think what we've done is really good.
0: Yeah, so do I, I agree.
1: Um, but it, it got really badly affected by COVID. We had some yeah. we had some awesome gigs lined up with Vivid that would have been big and would have helped. and So it's just – but it's just another opportunity for me to work with, you know, people from – you know my friends, my musical mm. friends and family, mm. and and uh, not be struck in the in the f- 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 the story sort of keeps circling around. Bands are difficult, yeah, and probably f- for people in their twenties. And so I'm looking, I'm interested in new forms of yeah. groups where the commitment isn't the same, but you still get the enjoyment. Um, so I'm trying to pr- pr- kind of provide a. F- a framework where people can come in, do a song or two, mm. without it, without stressing them out. Going, oh,
0: there's no. Commi- I'm in a band called Coastal Elite.
1: and I'm yeah, yeah, gotcha. But obviously, if something goes well, then they can go, oh, hey,
0: I did track a track Coastal, Lee. Coastal Lee, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> So it's about as simple as that, and it's and uh, it, it. I, I wish I put more music out, and we've got, I've got, I've got a, a ton about to come out. Um, f- doing a track with my niece, Holiday Sidewinder. Um, we've just done a cover of well not of the Carly Simon song, Why, which is literally be out in a bit, about five weeks. Mm.
0: This, this will be out on your label?
1: This will be out on Personal Best, yep. yeah. Um, I've been doing stuff with Juanita Tippins yep. from Confection. We've got a new Confection coming out. Cool. new singer called Leroy Jones who's been singing around Sydney. He's just in- Unbelievably great! Mm. I'm So excited about the stuff I've got what, with him. What
0: kind of singer is he? What kind of uh, style? Sorry. Well,
1: I've, uh, I've, I'll play some off, off mm. air. But he's just got as like the, a proper eighties funk sort of. Mm. He he's a island Islander, but I don't think he sings like an Islander, and okay. I'm not saying that in a good or a bad way. I know what you're saying, yeah. Uh, he's he's got a real kind of punchy. It just it, he he reflects the music he grew up with, and so right. he came over with Juanita one night for a session, and yep. we just he goes, "I've got all those records," and we, uh, and so he's into the lots of the records that I, that I was, mm. and um. He's he's new, like well, he's I don't know, he's twenty nine or something, but he's mm. he's trying to find his feet and. and same thing. I just said. Well, you can you can feature on a Coastal Elite song, with, and we'll just start that way. And and he's am- he's amazing. Like he's just one of the best Australian voices yeah, right. that we've ever heard. So he I'm really really, this, ex- watch space. really excited about mm. that. He's just great. And um, uh, got f- f- like a Ricky Nifo. I don't yeah, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ricky's you. on a on a track, and those two. Were, so, uh, it, it, the, you know, the generations keep evolving, and I, I yeah. through. I'm just trying to tap into great yeah. people who are and like Ricky Nifo is really into the. We've only done one song together, but we talked about doing some this country funk stuff, that mm. kind of seventy soul that's bordering on Nashville and mm. Linda. Uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, there's a, lots of stuff and new stuff with Moody Beach, who I've collaborated with quite a bit, and uh, lots lots of stuff with Professor, lots of stuff mm. with Juanita. Um, Florian, who we've put some records out with, mm. there's there's a, there's a lot to come. It's just I've just, yeah, it's got to knock them out and get them released. Awesome,
0: exciting, man. Yeah, oh, I can't
1: wait. I think so. I, yeah. I mean, it's that's the great thing about music is as depressing as it can seem sometimes because it's hard to. Hard to get noticed, and there's
0: so much and, of it. And it's hard work. We we're talking I, about it before. I, yeah,
1: I, I, I just do find it endlessly stimulating, and there's, mm. there's nothing funner than making music. That first of all, you enjoy the process, and you, 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 when the person you're playing, writing with or recording with, sings or plays something incredible, it's just such an exciting thing. And then when you get the chance to be able to finally put that out it's It's as exciting as when I was twelve or thirteen or five or twenty five it It's an endlessly renewable resource, I think so um and i that's the one thing I'm enjoying now is just constantly trying to keep looping people I've worked with and back into the um you know into making records
0: that's great man, yeah. Man, this has been cool. I'm really excited. I can't wait to hear this stuff. Yeah, well, I'll like send s- you a couple of preview oh, things. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then, um, yeah, I'll, I'll do everything my end to once that music comes to push it out. That'd be great. Much appreciated. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Josh Bigley, thanks so much for chatting oh, with me today, man. It's absolute been...
1: pleasure, Stevie. Thanks yeah. for thanks for thanks for hurting me in, you know? <laughs> <laughs> herding in. Yeah,
0: good stuff. Yeah. All right, man. All right,
1: right. Ca- catch you soon. No worries. Cheers. See you, bud.